0: Resilink is powering the resilient supply chain with their incredible supply chain mapping. And Rana Rose joined me last week to tell us all about it. Plus, she also gives us a glimpse into her amazing journey in supply chain, which includes some career advice, some thoughts on travel in supply chain, and so, so much more. Her passion is is incredible and you're not going to want to miss that. So go and check out episode 124 wherever you subscribe to the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast or under podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community. New innovations and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. IANA is responding to the needs of the intermodal freight industry, and they are delivering. They have created a brand new program called The Business of Intermodal Continues. It's entirely online and will include educational webinars, virtual panel discussions, market updates, and industry leader interviews throughout the remainder of 2020. For more details, visit intermodal.org. Hello, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. So last week, I did a personal branding webinar with the procurement leaders and Dana Small. It was amazing. We had a lot of really great feedback, and uh, so hopefully, you were able to join us for that. Also, I'm going to be part of the Digital Container Summit coming up on September 3rd, as well as the CSCMP Virtual Edge event coming up at the end of September as as well, I hopefully I can see you there. We are letting you know everything that's coming up and everything that we're working on in our thoughts and coffee live streams that are happening every Tuesday morning at 10am across our social media, which is LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. So if you want to stay on top of everything, please join us for that. Or over on the LinkedIn social, we are also posting every Sunday Um, Sunday afternoon, what's coming up on the show, what we're working on, what events we're going to be at, and so, so much more. So today on the show is a company you would have met if you had attended Forge Supply Chain Conference on June 25th. They were a part of the Startup Showcase and are doing some amazing things in supply chain technology. Coming from the founding team at Flexport, the founder of the Startup Tech has already had success. In this space, but before I let you in on who I am speaking with today, let's get to the question of the week. So this was a fun one, and the question of the week was: What incoterm are you? And so we used some of the reactions on social media to really describe that, and we had a legend that went with it. So X works was "Do Your Own Thing," FOB "Want to Be Cool Kid," CIF "Life of the Party," and DDP was "High Maintenance." And so we had a lot of great comments and answers. Jonathan Kemp, I am FOB. I kind of wish I was one of the supply chain cool kids, but I'm a little bit behind. Uh, Lisa Fenton, maybe a little FOB mixed in with X works. Um, Omkar says, I would categorize myself more of DDP with a topping of X-Works. Melissa, I like to think of myself as X-Works, but some others probably see me as DDP high maintenance. That is awesome awesome. Eddie says that uh, he is DDP for ocean and final leg for sure. Okay. All right. And Hope says, I think I'm the combination of X-Works and DDP. Ha, ha, ha. We're so glad that all of you joined in on the fun. That was a, that was really a good one across all of our social media channels. Thank you to everyone who weighed in this week and be sure to be part of that conversation every single Wednesday on the Let's Talk Supply Chain, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Instagram. We are starting and having some great industry conversations on those posts. We're also posting it on our Facebook page as well. So today, Ram, the CEO and founder of SKU Team, is joining me to talk about their new initiative. Supply Chain Unchained and how his journey that included Flexport has influenced his new venture called Skew Team. But before we learn more about Skew Team, let's get to know Ram and his journey a little bit more. So Ram is the founder and CEO of Skew Team, a company that provides brands that run globalized supply chains with localized supervision at their factories. Ram previously was employee number 15 at Flexport from being their first ever head of global accounts to finding and forming their global partner network, a crucial piece of the puzzle of running a global freight forwarding company. Towards the last two years of his career at Flexport, he helped build their global ocean consolidations business from the ground up, making it one of the most profitable business units within the company. Prior to Flexport, he worked for renowned global forwarders, Toll Global Forwarding and C.H. Robinson, wherein he helped build their Indian subcontinent to the USA trade lane business. So welcome to the show, Ram.
1: Hey, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me today.
0: I was really looking forward to meeting you at TPM in March, but unfortunately, due to COVID, it was canceled, which I'm sure most people know about now. And we didn't have that chance, but we were agile and we pivoted to a remote meeting. And now you are on the show. I'm excited that we could showcase your story at Forge back at the end of June. And now we can get a little bit more in depth into what exactly it is that you are doing. So let's get started. Take us back to the very beginning. What was the challenge you were seeing that influenced the birth of SKU team?
1: Yeah, thank you again. Uh, thank you very much. That's a great question. So uh, we go by SKU team uh, just to make it easy on people. Uh, you know, where uh, to, to start off. You know, to go and explain where the beginning of this idea came from. I need to take you to the beginning of time. Actually, you know, the way humans started measuring time was one they're looking at the sun, and then the rudimentary clocks came about. The initial version of a clock just had one hand, just the hour hand. It never had a minute hand. It could not tell you where what time it was between one and say one thirty. It would tell you directionally that you are somewhere in between one and one thirty, and everything else was open to interpretation. That is, uh, in 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 my opinion, the same impression on supply chains today. Directionally, you know, freight forwarders, everybody in the stakeholders in the supply chain know where things are in terms of where your skew is. But in terms of specifically knowing, hey, has the container being offloaded from the from the vessel, or has the container been stuffed? That is a data point that you do not know until the container has arrived at the port or has been picked up by a trucker. And that was, uh, you know, the challenge that kind of got me thinking to start with. And you know, almost always when you talk about transparency uh, in supply chains, we all talk about. Hey, you know, transportation management systems, WMS, warehouse management system, or order management systems for e-commerce, that is where majority of the effort goes into to focus on visibility when things are in motion. However, 70% of a product's journey in a supply chain happens inside a factory. 60 to 90 days to make a product, 10 to 30 days to ship a product. That's, that 70 percent problem has been largely ignored. It's not an area that has been focused on. Trying to bring a little more visibility over there will have massive downstream impacts coming down into, this, into the time when it's moving, right? Uh, with globalization now, and, and you know, brands are now way more audacious. What they used to previously do by partnering with, say, a Lee and Fung or a William E. Connor. Uh, You know, they pay 7%, 14 15% commission on every transaction to find a factory and manage production. Now we're noticing that they're willing to try it out on their own. The current market conditions necessitate that. You know, stiff competition, intellectual property challenges, uh, need to turn inventory quicker, margin compression. These are all reasons why factory customers are going directly to factories. Uh, You know, they don't want to cut out the middlemen. Uh, but how do you manage these factories sitting 10,000 miles away, right? You, it's, 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 a, it's a massive challenge for a lot of brands, especially SMB brands, who are trying to find factories overseas and managing them. Uh, and in that framework, customers place POs today, and the next thing they know is only when things go wrong. Rarely do they hear when things are going right. That intelligence of when things are going right is so valuable. In logistics, I have customers literally, you know, when I was in freight forwarding for 10 years, I literally had customers crying for help saying, hey, I really do not know what the true conditions are on the ground. Whether if my SKUs are being manufactured or if there is a delay or if they're going to make it out on time, it is all a coin toss. This exactly was the seed that was planted in my head, uh, you know, what my wife calls my rich fertile soil in my head for the better part of two years. Uh, I've, been, I've been toying with this for a very long time. I kept watering and exposing my head to sunlight for nearly two years, uh, toying with this idea. And that essentially was helped. Uh, what, what helped me build SCUTE.
0: Amazing, amazing. I really like the fact that you brought in some of the stats because we talk about supply chain all the time. And it's an over encumbering piece of the business itself, you know, from sourcing, manufacturing, all the way to last mile, and starting to break down the pieces. And we are starting to really be able to bring efficiency to each piece of the process and really showcasing, you know, supply chain as a competitive advantage within business. And so it's really interesting to me to hear some of those stats and see where all of those gaps are. And you saw those gaps two years ago, and now you are putting those into practice and helping companies everywhere. So why don't you tell us exactly what it is that you do?
1: Uh, To put it very simply, we provide globalized supply chains with localized supervision. So if you are a brand today, manufacturing apparel, home furnishing, fashion accessories uh, in, in, in a global landscape, right? You're manufacturing either in China, India, Vietnam, any of those markets, you fall under one of these three categories. Either you're paying between 7 and 14% to a buying house like Lian Fung or somebody of that nature, or you found your factory directly, either through past relationships or via Alibaba, right? And you're managing the performance, (coughs) excuse me, in terms of quality, compliance, and on-time performance remotely, sitting 10,000 miles away, which has been proven to be a recipe for disaster, especially, you know, in an environment like COVID right now, uh, without having grasp over whether your factory is producing things, have they shipped it, or is it still stuck inside the factory, not having visibility, or you have managed to overcome that and have built a localized QC team or either you're using an, you know, an existing player like SGS or Quema in, in China uh, and you summon them for an inspection uh, with seven days notice, paying close to $1,000 to have these inspectors come in and do perform one inspection uh, on, your, on your merchandise before they ship out. So that's pretty much how brands manage their supplying, suppliers today. At Skew Team, we want to change all of that. We know it hurts your margins to pay a commission on every transaction. Paying 7%, 14% is not a thing anymore. We can see it on Lian Fung's stock price in the in the Hong Kong stock exchange today. It's trading cents on the dollar. Um, and a lot of times 14% is your margin. If you are, you know, an e-commerce brand today, a direct to consumer brand today, that's probably you know a lot more than your margin. So we work with brands to help them find established suppliers in return for a small, flat, one-time referral fee. It's not like we charge on every transaction. We inter- we take your information, what you're looking for, and we go out and find you a factory, make an introduction. You have a direct relationship with the factory. And then we embed ourselves in the day-to-day operations of said manufacturer. So we have experts, expert inspectors on the ground who are hyper-local in major garment manufacturing hubs our inspectors make in-person visits to your factory's production site this requires no more input from your factory we're not changing the way you work with your factory we're just adding an additional layer of, of intelligence so our guys go in at the start we sit down with the factory align with the production plan and then we hold their feet to the fire throughout the rest of the production That, we do it in turn, again, for a very small flat fee per purchase order. And that intelligence of understanding production velocity has massive consequential impact downstream, right? Imagine if a freight forwarder were getting their booking forms today, 30, 60 days out via an API. You don't have those Excel sheets going back and forth. You do not have bad cargo information. You have visibility into what your demand is going to be. 30, 60 days out. It's unheard of in the freight forwarding world. And that is what we do.
0: Amazing, amazing. And it's not only the data, right? I mean, I think that what you are covering is so much more than just the intelligence. You are covering security. You have somebody in your corner that is going to check out the facilities because right now a lot of brands are also, you know, really concerned about not only sustainability, but also the human element of their supply chains and the conditions that they're working in, etc, etc. And I think that, you know, having someone in your corner like SKU Team is really going to make that difference. It's not only going to help on the security side, but it's also going to help you feel secure in the fact that you're dealing with the right factories, and you don't have to worry that down the line, something is going to come and hurt your brand.
1: Yeah, you nailed it there, right? This is not passive oversight, which is predominantly what majority of the brands do. They go out, they have probably, you know, 10% compliance team for a global 200 manufacturer. This is even the biggest companies like the Nikes of the world, they have a limited compliance team. They rely, they, they perform a number of audits every year, but that's not sufficient To kind of give you the comfort that, hey, yes, there's no child labor in my factory. It's humane working conditions in my factories. My my laborers get a fair wage. You do not get that certainty on real time actively. That is where we come in. You know, an average PO takes about 60 to 90 days to produce, as I told you earlier. We send in our guys between five and seven times in that production time, right? Going at regular intervals, we're able to see we're there in person, There's very little you can escape when you have a third person coming in to audit. There's very little that you miss. And that helps customers get a lot more sense of comfort, knowing that, hey, I'm doing right by not just my shareholders, but also by all the other stakeholders.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I can really see how you make it that much easier, you know, especially if they're looking to spend 14% of their margin. And in some cases, that is the majority of their margin. And then, you know, what do you do? Because there are so many other costs to consider. And it's exciting to see that you are bringing that kind of innovation to the market. You know, there's been a lot of talk about globalization, the movement of manufacturing and the diversification of suppliers. So how has COVID shifted your business and how are you helping your customers?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So that's that's definitely another very interesting angle that has actually helped our business a lot in some ways now. Uh, the, the intention to find diversify supply is very strong extremely strong right now post-covid uh customers are looking to find new suppliers or either find a secondary or third tertiary supplier to keep their keep their supply chain resilient but what we're also noticing and this is more of you know a, a general theme we're noticing is you do not go to an indian restaurant and ask for kung pao chicken or you don't go to a chinese restaurant and order chicken tikka masala not that either one of the chefs are not capable of making it. I'm very sure both of those chefs are capable of making it. But it's not their speciality. The trend we're seeing is customers are looking at the Chinese products that we're making, taking that, that exact specification and shopping it around saying, hey, can I make this in India now? Can I make this in Vietnam now? The art of mass manufacturing is China's best kept secret. Your $10 windbreakers, these will forever come from China. Because the suppliers of raw materials, the entire supply chain is existent only in China. You cannot replicate that instantly in another market. you got to give these countries a little bit more time to play catch up. But this is an opportunity for most of our customers to start saying, hey, how do I differentiate myself? How do I localize a fabric? I do not need the same mix of fabric uh, that I used to buy in China. Let me see if I can differentiate myself with what's available in Vietnam. Or what's available in India. Uh, we do not want to, you know, it's, it's, it's not just we do not want to. I don't think we're going to get the optimal response if you're trying to make a Chinese-made dress shirt in India. That is why the world always believes, oh, China is forever the way it is and India can never catch up to China or Vietnam can never catch up to China because you're looking for the next China in India. China's got 1.6 billion people. They got the infrastructure, the best infrastructure in the world that is not easily replicatable. So you're gonna have to make adjustments and that's where we come in. We work with our customers, we help them localize their approach. Uh, We help them understand what differences they're gonna have to make to their expectations.
0: So then, what do you say to? I mean, Irina Roska a few weeks ago was on the. She did an episode of the Supply Chain Minute, and she was talking about a survey of Americans, you know, that they would not be comfortable buying products from China. And what would you say to retailers that are coming up against, you know, that kind of thought process from their consumers?
1: So it's it's a good question, and to be very honest, three out of my five customers this week I've had a call with, and it's only Tuesday have all come to me saying, hey, we want to get out of China. You know, if it's not going to happen immediately in 2020, we want to at least get 25% of a supply chain placed somewhere else in the world. So that is definitely a trend. And uh, it might be a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction from the consumers today, uh, especially as the economic recession continues to bite us. I don't know how, how steadfast they will be in that belief. China continues to dominate the world. They will, they definitely have a strong foothold, especially because they're vertically integrated. Right? The, the raw materials, you can make the same t shirt in India, but the raw materials have to come from China, right? Your, your gut shirts, all of that still has to come from China. I mean, a lot of pharmaceutical raw materials have to come from China. That's how resilient China is. So it's going to be extremely hard. I don't expect, you know, a complete reversal in the next five years, let's say even. Uh, In five years, China to be obsolete is not an option. I don't think that is practically feasible. The world is not ready for it. Um, That is a long way to go before we can get there.
0: Well, and I just don't think we can afford it, right? I mean, maybe the public doesn't realize what that means to their wallets and how it will potentially increase the products they use on a daily basis. And even if they did, you know, the shift, it doesn't really mean the consumer will spend more money because of it, right?
1: No, uh, what's going to happen as a result of this, at least in my opinion, is there is going to be a flood of different kinds of products coming to the market. It's not just Chinese-dominated products, uh, which the Chinese manufacture brilliantly that are not easily replicatable anywhere else. Uh, This is going to open up the options for consumers, right? They're not going to continue to wear the same jerseys. They're probably going to try on a different kind of product uh, in the interest. But that's a short-term thing, and uh, things will revert back to normal in the long run.
0: And I do agree with you, you know, so in the research I was doing before this interview, I love your website, by the way, I think it's great. And everyone needs to go and check it out. So I'll give that link at the end of the episode. But I noticed that you talk about procure and assure. What is that strategy? And what exactly does that mean?
1: Absolutely. So uh, focusing on that 70% problem, right? Customers come to us, either they say, hey, I cannot get my factory to tell me what's happening. Managing production is a challenge there. I do not have somebody local. Or they come to us saying, hey, I have a tough time finding a factory, right? I do not know, you know, I, I have the network, but I don't know if I can trust them. I worked with them at a previous company, but I don't know if they will be fitting for our scale right now in my current company, so those were the two most common themes that were posed to us when we did our research. So with procure, uh, what we do is again, like I said earlier, we help. We take your tech pack. That's pretty much a very common uh, phenomenon in the textile space. Tech pack is your specification sheet that has everything about the garment you're trying to make, right? From the color to the fabric to the to the to the fiber count to everything there. So we take that. We then go work with our own internal teams to find factories that are suitable for uh, that particular product. We do, a, we do our due diligence. We come back with a comprehensive analysis for our customers to take a look at, and we offer them a handful of factory options. The customer, then we work with them to choose which factory they should be you know, probably engaging with at this stage. We introduce them directly to the factory the customer engages with the factory, we are there to assist with the sampling process and until the time a PO is created, we are there. And if our customers so choose to engage with the factory we introduced and issue a PO, they pay us a flat one-time referral fee. They pay us $2,000 today uh, at at the end of once they've released the PO to the factory for the services that we rendered over time to help them find a factory. Once that is done, Assure kicks in. Uh, Assure is basically the service where, hey, you've released your PO, now you need to know what's happening. So our own in-person, our own experts make in-person visits to these factories every fortnight. We sit down with them. First, we work with a procurement plan, a production plan. The factories sign off on it, and then we keep holding their feet to the fire from there. So from there, we keep visiting the factory. On the next visit, we come in to see, okay, you gave us a production plan, show us that you've you know, procured accordingly, has a product show, you know, in, in, in stock right now, let's go, let's do a revised production plan, because inevitably, this is the time when a lot of time procurement goes awry. So we take the production plan, and then we, again, keep coming back to audit that. We come back to do an inline inspection. So an inline inspection is basically production has started, we step in, we pick up top samples, we inspect against the specs. We give the factory feedback. We say, "Hey, you know, this is not working out. The color codes are not matching up," or, or you know, this particular brand uh, logo needs to be done differently. We give that feedback to the brand, in in touch with what the customer is expecting. Uh, we do a product velocity audit. We'll see how fast they're manufacturing are they going to hit their goals. Then we come back. We do a quick finishing inspection. We do logistics coordination. We let the freight forwarder know that, hey. In two weeks, we expect the freight to be ready, make sure you have your container procured or air freight space procured or whatever, based on the customer's advice. And then finally, we come and do a very standardized AQL audit, as we call it. Um, what that allows is basically, it has it's, it's a perfectly defined process. It's objective. It's not subjective. It is a, a perfectly defined framework where we come in and say, if you bought 1,000 T-shirts in this order, we will pick a random 180 samples. And we will audit that against the customer specs and a certain limit is allowed to fail and the lot will still pass. And if you exceed that limit, then the entire lot fails and the factory will have to re rework the garments. So this kind of gives a customer a comprehensive view of the entire product before it leaves. This helps them tremendously reduce their rate of returns. It helps them tremendously with quality and ensuring that customer satisfaction is priority for them. And this is what Assure does, and we do all of these five inspections, all inclusive for three hundred dollars flat. Uh, does not include, does not, uh, you know, add anything further in terms of TE because our inspectors are hyper local. We believe in building relationships with these factories, so we get localized inspectors in major garment manufacturing hubs.
0: Yeah, you know, just think of the amount of risk you are reducing for them, especially for small to medium sized businesses, and that's got to be huge. I mean, not only to their bottom line, but to them as a business in general. Plus, you're giving them, you're giving local workers jobs, which is great. So you're not only helping the economy here, but you're also helping the local economies where you work as well, which is amazing. So you don't I mean, you have given us a high-level overview of what Protect and Assure actually means and what it does for companies. Do you have a real-life example of how you've helped your customer and what it actually meant to them as a business and their bottom line? You know, what was the challenge that they had? What was the solution? And how did they benefit from it?
1: Absolutely. So one of my customers here in the Valley, uh, they are uh, a fairly, you know, Middle middle stage fashion brand that sells you know shorts you know Hawaiian shirts. It's it's more of you know a college college student brand, and they're doing they're doing very very well. But 2020 was a the year they wanted to kind of take you know sustainability a lot more seriously. They wanted to get their rate of returns under control. Again, they're an e-commerce online only brand, and rate of returns are a major cause of concern for them. It, it's very expensive for a brand as such. Uh, So they want to kind of get the quality up and running and they want to start exploring sustainability in a serious way. So we sat down with them. We said, okay, give us your current product lineup. Tell us what exactly is of interest to you to go organic. They said, hey, you know, we want to go for our Hawaiian shirts to be organic cotton. Is that something you can help us with? Great. So then we take all the specs. We're essentially a tech file. We go around, socialize that with our network. We come back. And we introduced introduced them to two factories. They started sampling with that factories. And essentially, they found that, hey, you know, they are able to, one, get comparable products in what you used to in manufacturing in China. And two, they were able to go organic because organic cotton, majority of the organic cotton in the world is either raised in India or in Egypt. Uh, Europe, European markets are fancier for that right now than the U.S. U.S. is just about catching on with organic cotton and with india being an advantage this was this was this was a great win for the customer they were able to get both the organic and the quality up to the mark because we had our inspectors audit every step of the way getting the product to life
0: Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like you, you know, you helped them in a few different ways. And so what did it mean to their bottom line? I know their specific challenge was to make their product more organic, but what did it mean to their bottom line? You know, were you able to help save that 14% margin for them as well?
1: Oh more. So one, they were again, they were not paying the commissions anymore. So 14% commissions out the window, they were pocketing that difference. And then some, right? Because you have direct fact relationships. And India being an advantage for organic cotton shirts, they almost reduced their price close to 22 I mean reduced their cost almost by 22% than what they were buying earlier from China.
0: Wow, uh, that so is that's huge.
1: A, that's massive. I mean, that's unheard of in the textile world these days to reduce your cost at that rate. But it is 100% possible by finding the right fit.
0: And that leads me to my next question, because I want to get an idea of who your ideal client is. Are you working within just the textile industry? What does your ideal client look like? And maybe if I'm sitting there as a listener listening to this episode, what questions am I asking that would lead me to pick up the phone and call SKU team?
1: Absolutely. Great question. Um, So one, yes, today we're right now working primarily, like I said, apparel, home furnishing, and fashion accessories. That's our target market for now. Uh, again, there's a lot of commonality in the product. Once we build a product for something as manual, and I consider this industry to be dirty manual. It's not like you can throw an IoT device on a production line. This is basically a human stitching every garment here. So building uh, the product for this will help us, you know, Replicate the product with very little modifications for other verticals. Today, it's primarily, as I said, it's it's garments, home furnishing, and fashion accessories. Uh, an ideal customer who would you know who would be interested by this is either hey they're looking for new manufacturers, they're looking to diversify out of China, they're looking to get their quality under control, they take sustainability seriously. Um, any of these reasons are good enough, or a combination of reasons are good enough to contact us. And to get control over their supply chain is what we do every day.
0: You must be super busy because I think you just mentioned things that everyone in supply chain is taking a look at right now, especially due to COVID. So I wouldn't be surprised if you are just very, very busy busy right now. So at the beginning of the show, I mentioned that you used to work at Flexport. So let's talk a little bit about that. What did your experience at Flexport teach you that you're using as you move into your own startup and how do you see the future of supply chain?
1: Absolutely. I mean, Flexport is such, it was such a great experience. I was fortunate to have been an early part of that team. You know, we went from, I think I was employee number 15, so 15 to over to nearly 2000 people. Uh, just, it was, it was just a, a magical experience. It was crazy in every way you can think of. And I still respect the hell out of the company. Uh, again, Ryan, Sana, they're like family to me. I've stayed at Ryan's house. So I'm, I'm, I greatly respect the team, what they're building. And I believe in the vision. What Flexport taught me was uh, very simple. You know, freight forwarding or essentially brokerage is a very, very capital intensive business and everything you should be focusing on is cost to serve. That is the only differentiator that's left, right? Every forwarder approaches cost to serve differently. Some forwarders, SMB forwarders invest in low rental markets, low cost living cities. That's where they keep their workforce and they're able to, you know, offset for the cost to serve. Uh, because it's super manually intensive today. Or some of the bigger forwarders like Hicks-Perditis, C.H. Robinson, they all have massive offshore data processing centers. Essentially, data processing centers is euphemism for humans transcribing emails and Excel sheets into the TMS. Right? Going digital along the way in freight forwarding somehow is translated to eyeballs on the platform that has a cool map. That is not what Flexport is. Flexport definitely has a cool map on a beautiful platform, and they have a lot of eyeballs looking at their platform. Definitely have that going for them. But that's not exactly what going digital means. It's reducing human intervention. Uh, if you take, for example, today in any freight forwarder, and I open this to any freight forwarder today, let's take all the emails your average associate gets and all the in-app messages, the way they communicate on your own platform with their customers, let's take both of that. Let's look at the ratio there. I will openly challenge any freight forwarder that, ra- that ratio is better than 90-10. 90% of emails, 90% of communication still happens via emails. More emails equal to higher cost to serve. Higher cost to serve means you need humans pretty much that continue to scale with your business and you're not really going to change anything. That is where we feel that Flexport is doing differently. And that's where I also want to be differentiating the company. The future of supply chain remains, involves reducing human involvement uh, with actioning mundane tasks. I'm not trying to say humans would never be involved. It's all going to be click of a button and everything is going to fly. That's just not possible. A pallet cannot automatically walk onto a plane like we can after we buy a ticket on Expedia. But,
0: well, maybe that can help. <laughs> I mean, robotics are coming in, right?
1: Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, but transcribing emails to update your TMS is just not a sustainable way. That does not mean you are a techn- you've adopted technology. There is a beautiful TMS. Everybody calls it IT these days. Um, and it's basically transcribing emails, uploading it into the, uh, typing it into the system. And then when a customer asks you, you look at the system and then type it back in an email to a customer or you have a platform, but ultimately the data that the data feed into the TMS is manual. It's emails. That is not sustainable. And uh, the future of supply chains is to find a cohesive way for, say, six stakeholders in any shipment that has to move uh, to be working seamlessly. Six stakeholders are there's a factory, there is a local buying office or a PO manager or an inspection agency, whoever approves the shipment. There is customs, there is a freight forwarder, there's a destination customs, and a financial institution. These are the six parties that every transaction sees, and these six people need to learn to work together. And if they cannot work together, people like and companies like GT Nexus, companies like Mercado, companies like Anvil, companies like uh, E2Open will continue to dominate the supply chain visibility space when honestly they don't really do the work. They're not closer to the action. The freight forwarders are, but somehow they're not able to work very well with each other.
0: You are speaking my language. That is definitely something I am looking to change as well. And it's kind of challenging to see how long it has really taken us to get to this point and how far we still need to go. So talking about the future, what's next for SKU team?
1: so we like you said earlier right we've been extremely busy uh covid you know it, it, it came with its own set of challenges but it's definitely accelerated a lot of things for our customers uh to diversify their supply and to get better control over their suppliers so we're going to continue moving on into this uh into this space we've, we've made great progress we're going to continue uh expanding into other markets so currently we service india and east of shanghai Those are the uh, West Shanghai. Those are the only two markets right now we manage the services for. We're expanding into Vietnam and southern China in the next couple of weeks. And we're also beginning to work with global brands now. I mean, it's interesting places we're finding product market fit. There are Indian brands who need our services. Uh, There are European brands that are looking for our services. So it's been quite exciting. So continue on scaling the business uh, and building, investing in the product is all we're looking at. For the next six to eight months uh and and as, as a thank you to you know and thank you to every uh, every one of the listeners out there we're offering a special promo uh the first two purchase orders for any of our first-time customers will be offered completely free for free if you're able to refer supply chain let's talk supply chain when you reach out to us uh on, on on our platform on our website uh drop us a message and we'd love to get involved with you and help you manage your first two purchase orders at no additional cost to you
0: Amazing. We all love free stuff. And I'm so excited you are able to offer that to our listeners. So as we heard at Forge from Peter Hall, global economist at EDC, globalization is not going anywhere. Strategies may change. Gaps have definitely been highlighted and companies will take a closer look at working with startups like SKU Team to help them on the ground to ensure quality and streamline the procure and assure processes. For more information about RAM, this episode and SKU Team, please visit letstalksupplychain.com forward slash episode 125 or make sure you visit their website. It's an amazing website. It is skuteam.com. Thank you, RAM, for coming on the show. Wishing you all the best in your success with SKU Team. Thank you, Sarah. If you like this episode, be sure to go to podcasts at letstalksupplychain.com, head over to our category section, and filter by the category that you are looking to learn more about. Next week, a recognized name in the industry, the supply chain titan, is here to talk about what they are doing at customized logistics group and you're not going to want to miss out on that one they've got a very unique approach to how they are working with their customers in the logistics space so stay tuned for that coming up next week if you'd like to support the show there's a few ways to do that follow us follow us on linkedin twitter and instagram even facebook now subscribe to our youtube channel the sc supply chain tv subscribe to our newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Next, go to ships.com. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. Visit and sign up. We are looking for freight forwarders and mid-market shippers. So if you are importering importing and exporting by air and ocean freight. We want to see you on the platform because we are going to streamline all of your pricing initiatives on our platform. So go and sign up at ships.com. Next shop, we've got some merch over on the letstalksupplychain.com website for your supply chain person, your logistics person, procurement person in your life. We've got some great stuff over there, plus some inspiration. Operational merch as well. And we've got our supply chain dictionary, which is 107 pages full of acronyms and definitions you will need to succeed in your supply chain career. Lastly, go and rate and review the show over on Apple Podcasts, and we will feature you on an upcoming episode. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship
1: happens.